May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, I was reminded earlier this week of a, a John Wesley quote uh, that I liked. Actually, Zach uh, quotes in his book. We were talking about it. Um, I, I first discovered this when I was in seminary. I was looking at a, a Wesleyan hymnal, a Methodist hymnal. At the beginning, often of Methodist hymnals, they have this uh, sort of long quote from Wesley. And here's an excerpt from him. He says, uh, Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead and ha- or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. <laughs> I love that quote. I mean, he's talking about like when you were in the pub, you know, singing with good courage. Sing like that. When you're singing along in your car uh, to Taylor Swift, uh, sing just as loudly and with as much emphasis when you're here at church uh, singing the praises of the Lord. I was talking to a relatively new uh, Christian convert uh, several months ago. Um, She's been a Christian now identifying as such a little less than two years. And she told me one sort of side effect of becoming a Christian for her is that she's able to sing. For some reason, and she's in her late 40s, for 40-some-odd years, she was unable to really sing. I mean, even to the, the songs of Satan, you know, uh, she just, her, her, her voice couldn't open it up because, as she said, there was just this weight on her, on her chest. Like, even in the shower, she couldn't sing loudly. Uh, but the, the, the result of her faith, one thing, is she's been able to sing. Her voice has been opened up. I mean, this doesn't happen to everyone, but it was a side effect for her, uh, and it should be sort of a side effect for all of us that she ha- now has something to sing about. Um, and, and, and mostly these uh, hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, but in general, she's able to sing now. Isaiah describes a sort of similar phenomenon in uh, chapter 12 of his prophecies. Uh, and I'll just sort of talk about Isaiah a, a little bit more generally, and I'll get back to that song thing. So bear with me, though. Um, and this is the last Sunday we're talking about Isaiah in this series. We've been doing Isaiah for about two months now, and we'll, um, we'll start uh, looking at Matthew uh, just here and there for a few weeks before going on to something else. But we're stopping in chapter 12. We sort of went all the way up to 49, and now we're going back to 12. I think it's a good place actually to stop. Uh, not only because it's the sort of end of the first section of Isaiah, and it is, chapter 13 is sort of a turning point, uh, but it's reflective of the hope that pops up here and there throughout all of Isaiah. Chapter 12 is. Uh, we saw that uh, in the beginning of this series when I preached on chapter 11, that comes before it. Uh, we saw that when um, Brandon preached on chapter 35. Uh, chapter 40 came up at our Lessons and Carols service, so we sort of skimmed the surface with that, but 49 a few weeks ago. Also, these sort of places where the hope pops up, it springs out in Isaiah, when so much of Isaiah can be really um, heavy. Uh, God's judgment pronounced on his people. But here in chapter 12, again, we have the hope. So the sort of general movement of Isaiah is from uh, sort of disclosures of evil, in Judah, in Israel, and, and the nations, everyone, you know, evenly distributed disclosures of evil to the sort of resulting and deserved judgment as a result of the evil. And then 
to these here and there unexpected visions of coming rescue and restoration, especially for his people and for a people uh, uh, to come. And so, therefore, it's sort of, and this is sort of broad strokes. Isaiah is much more nuanced than this, but sort of a box-top view is he's going from bad news to good news. You need to hear the bad news before you can hear the good news. So if you read a lot of uh, the first ten chapters of Isaiah, it's pretty heavy on the bad news. Uh, But the good news comes out in 11 and 12. Uh, So it's sort of predominantly filled with a rhetoric of attack on his people. Uh, Almost as if sort of holding up a mirror to the kingdoms of uh, Israel and Judah. And these are God's chosen people. This is God's chosen household, the descendants of David and Abraham, and holding up a mirror to them and having this rhetoric of attack. God is disgusted with them, and he ridicules his people throughout the first ten chapters. There's sort of very little or no sense of mercy. Just uh, take, for example, one theme. There's so much that I could talk about in these first ten chapters, but just take, for example, one theme, and that's uh, God's anger not being turned away. Hear this in chapter 5. The anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Chapter 9. The Syrians on the east and the Philistians on the west devour Israel with with open mouth. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Chapter 9 again. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Chapter 9, for a third time, Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. That's tribes of Israel against tribe, the tribe of Judah. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Are you hearing the pattern? Chapter 10. Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. His anger comes how it comes by allowing a military conflict between the neighboring nations of Israel, Syria, Assyria, and Judah is caught in the middle of it all. You know, taking sides with one and another and being sort of tossed to and fro uh, in this regional conflict. And after all of this, in the first 10 chapters, the reversal comes in 11 and in our passage today, uh, chapter 12. Let me just reread it. It's pretty short. And I want to read to you the final verse of chapter 11 uh, that we didn't have today. So this is the end of 11 and all of 12. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to the Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. Remember that it wasn't turned away yet? Now it's turned away. That you might comfort me 
Comfort, comfort ye my people. Chapter 40. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known, and all the earth shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Do you hear the difference in the the tone of this chapter compared to so much of what's come before when he was not turning his anger away, it's been turned away here in chapter 12. And uh, God is called not only uh, Judah's salvation and strength, but Judah's song. Shouts aloud and proclaim this news. We can't help but to sing. The same God that would not turn his anger away, we were held at his mercy and he finally turned it away. Thank God. Two things that's that is uh, one thing that's repeated twice in this chapter is that day, that day when the anger is finally turned away. Well, we too are living, you know, quote unquote, in that day. We are like Judah. The great thing about uh, Isaiah is uh, it's not just for Judah, but it's timeless. The message of Isaiah, you can read it. Uh, first of all, to get the story of what's happening historically. And second of all, uh, the story of what it means for us. So much of Isaiah pertains to us even now. Uh, um, when we are sort of confronted with our own guilt and deserving of judgment, just as not only Judah was, but Israel and all the nations, when we're confronted with our guilt and deserving of punishment, uh, only to receive a message of rescue, redemption, and restoration from the very same God, the God whose hands hold our fate. Uh, we should want to cry aloud like the inhabitants of Zion with shouts of joy to sing. This is such good news that I can't help but singing. Isn't there a hymn that says that? I can't help but singing. Uh, this is partly why we sing in church uh, today and elsewhere. It's not the only reason, but these songs that we sing in church give us the language to sing and to give praise to God, uh, not only tonight or Sunday morning, but for the rest of the week. You know, we hope that you memorize these songs. They're written on your heart so that as when you were singing the songs of faith you know, in your car, you'll want to, to sing out uh, to the God of Israel. And the thing that we know that Judah did not know then uh, is that the rescue, redemption, and restoration has come and is here in Jesus Christ. Uh, we have the sort of end of the story that they don't know. Even more to sing. Uh, just as uh, my friend was opened up in her conversion to now have a voice to open her mouth uh, to sing, it was the same for Judah and it's the same for us. Just a uh, Listen to uh, this message uh, from some of the songs that we have just tonight. These messages are for you. Hail gladdening light, sun so bright, Jesus Christ, end of night. We praise the Father, we praise, we can't help but sing. We praise the Father, we praise the Son, we praise the Spirit, holy, divine. No one more worthy of songs to be sung to the giver of life 
all glory is thine. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. There's hope for the hopeless and all those who've strayed. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. And finally, my hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Do you know what a sweetest frame is? I have no idea either. If you go on Google, no one has an answer to what it means. There's so much debate about what it means. Um, uh, but one Lutheran hymnal rewrites the line like this. No merit of my own I claim. What a great Lutheran transliteration of that. No merit of my own I claim. I trust not my sweetest frame. You know, this frame of these dead bones but I trust him and his righteousness alone. Kevin Twitt, a friend of ours who runs a ministry called Indelible Grace in Nashville, says this about the line that it means feelings or an emotional state. I don't know if he's right, but it sounds good. Uh, He says, we do not despise sweet frames, but we do not trust in them. We trust in Jesus Um, when I was uh, before I came to Christ myself. Uh, in my early 20s, I was in uh, graduate school, and I took as an extracurricular class in grad school. You can tell I was single, uh, because I didn't need to take this class in the music department at my university called Singing for Self-Expression. You needed to have no prior experience to be in this class. Uh, music 300, I even remember the course number. Singing for Self-Expression, I said, that sounds great. Um, sort of get me out of my shell, you know, um, and I didn't know how to read music or anything. And the, the most difficult task of the whole semester, at the end of the semester, after all these exercises and group activities, we had to sing one solo with a piano accompaniment and the whole class there to listen. A song of our choosing. It's embarrassing. Don't ask me why. Well, I kind of know. I chose Your Song by Elton John. <laughs> Well, Moulin Rouge had just come out, right? And Ewan McGregor sang it really well. And I said, his voice, I, I bet I could, I could pull that off. He's not a singer. Do you remember the chorus of that song? Uh, Elton John's um, uh, Your Song. I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in words how wonderful life is while you're in the world. Um, my friend, my roommate at the time, uh, was actually in the music department. Uh, he was a, a singer getting his master's degree. And I asked him, can you coach me for this? I was really nervous. Um, and uh, I was terrible in our living room. And he said, this is what you have to do. You have to imagine that you are singing that song to a particular person. Uh, if, you, if it's a message that you know that you're conveying, uh, you'll be able to sing it. And I was single, had no love of my life. Elton John wrote this song for his parents. Um, and I tried to imagine somebody, um, and I still kind of bombed it. Um, at the time, I had no one to sing the song to. 
As I said, Elton John wrote it for his parents. But now, you know, after, like my friend uh, who's had the conversion, who's had the chapter 11, chapter 12 experience of Isaiah, can open uh, my mouth and address that song uh, to Jesus Christ if I wanted to and would be able to sing it, hopefully, with much more clarity and confidence, as my friend said, to sing it to somebody in particular. Uh, Just as Isaiah said, shout and sing for the joy, for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Uh, As Elton John said, how wonderful life is while you're in this world. Great in the midst of you is the Holy One of Zion. (laughs) While you're in this world, He's here right now (laughs) in the midst of us, his love for us, in spite of our deserving uh, judgment and condemnation. um, He will turn his anger away. And there's uh, nothing more in this world that should make us want to shout for joy. Here again, John Wesley. And think about this for yourself, you know, I mean... I know what it's like. I'm an introvert. So I hate when people, the guy in my place, ask you to sort of like turn to your neighbor and say, hey, or, you know, you know, sort of cheesy things like that. But I'm trying to get you to respond to the gospel message that you will want to sing the way that John Wesley talks about. You know, maybe you're not in the mood tonight. I totally get it. Don't be in the mood. When you're in the mood, hopefully you'll have sort of a feeling like John Wesley one day. But I encourage you, even if you, like me, when I was uh, taking singing for self-expression and couldn't sing, if you think you're singing off-key, I don't care. Just sing it. Annoy your neighbor. You know, we're not here to impress anybody. You're aiming those prayers, that song, at somebody, at Jesus Christ, and he will hear it no matter what key it's in. John Wesley says, Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead. You're not half dead. You've been made alive in him, revivified. These dry bones have been brought back to life or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. Amen.